breaking uh fucking news um hollywood uh turns out it's a bad place for women who knew <gasps> oh my god such a shock yeah and um well, I guess this is it, folks. There's not going to be any more movies unless um, unless someone else can make movies. Uh, imagine that, huh? Yeah, I mean, what a concept. You would you would think. I mean, yeah, it's quite a concept, I'll tell you. Yeah, so um, women in film? What a novel idea. Oh, oh, my God. Sweetheart, you shouldn't be making these movies. You should be... Yeah, uh, you, should, yeah. <laughs> you, you should be back in the kitchen getting my dinner. Get me a fucking sandwich. You're drying up over there with all these cameras and the lights. Uh, come what on, the sweetheart. <laughs> oh, the fucking camera's too heavy for you. You couldn't possibly know how to handle this. You can't be in the director's chair, sweetheart. Nah, no, you can't possibly have any ideas of your own. There's no fucking way you can write a script. Stop writing them scripts and start writing them recipes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as you might have guessed, uh, uh, some 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 bad things happened, uh, and uh, finally brought to light after uh, after years of. Uh, Hushed whispers and, um, I guess, people jacking off in front of women without their consent. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> everything's finally coming out in the open right now. As a native Angelino, let me just say that all, all of this will secret forever. Everyone in the entertainment industry knew what everyone else did, and nobody said a goddamn thing about it and if they tried to they were either usually bought out or were discredited instantly yeah man um i like uh, i like that uh this year is the year of uh men facing consequences it seems like mm-hmm. uh from uh roy moore uh, cruising uh, alabama malls to oh. uh to harvey weinstein um I guess uh, touching the shit out of some people. And, to uh, Louis C.K. <laughs> Louis C.K. <laughs> that you know, that's been that's been an obvious like open secret, and I think everyone and their mother who's a comic has joked about Louis like beaten off in front of people. It's just Hell, I get... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's like touched upon it in his stand-up before. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> He's blatantly saying what he's done to people who are just going, ah, that's so funny. Oh, my God. It's actually fucking true. Why the hell did we laugh at this? Yeah. Um, and uh, Kevin Spacey, um, oh, turns, out, turn, turns out everyone's a bad guy. Yep. Although, I guess I mean, uh, the Kevin Spacey thing, um, what's... What's really fucking weird about it is that he tried to say like, "Oh well, um, I guess I'm gay now," and it's like, really? What, that's what, what, that's what, the defense. <laughs> that... That's the defense, really? <laughs> no, no, that's like, uh, you ever heard of a, you ever heard of a guy named Dan White? Uh, I don't think so. 
Dan White was a guy who uh, was involved in the late 70s in local politics in San Francisco, who one night he murdered the, the mayor of San Francisco and the... Oh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the Twinkie defense, right? Yes, the yeah, Twinkie yeah, defense. Yeah. <laughs> he, murdered two, he murdered two guys, including the first uh, openly gay uh, city supervisor in U.S. history, Harvey Milk. And he said, like, you know, oh, the reason I did it was because I ate too much junk food. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you think uh, South Park's uh, Chewbacca defense could not possibly be real, um, shows what the fuck you know. Right. <laughs> right. Woo. And because of this, South Park is going to have material until the end of time. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, as as we all know, as we all suspect, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of scum in positions of power. And uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood obviously is. uh <laughs> It's a serious problem, um, dating back long time, long time. But, mm-hmm. but again, um, it's also an industry that's uh, paradoxically, more or less, um, you know, it's it's an industry where a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't uh, succeed in other businesses, like uh, women, uh, minorities, uh, sexual minorities in particular. They mm-hmm. they tend to find success, and I'm not saying like you know it's it's perfect. I mean, God knows we need more fucking uh, people of color uh, behind the camera and in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of progress. It's not it's not um, the three flavors of white people anymore. Uh, it's not Thank God. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just your wasps and your uh, Irish and Italian or uh, or. Or your Jewish folks. Um, there's a lot more diversity, and uh, that's very much true. Yeah, and while it took, and while it took until 2009 for women to get some recognition for their behind-the-camera work, women have been involved in the film industry since, well, basically since the very beginning. Since the dawn of film itself, you go back to the. The earliest days of film with uh, D.W. Griffith at Birth of a Nation, he had uh, had women in there. Yeah, um, even back before that, when you know movies were just stupid, like ten minute clips of like horses marching. Uh, Alice Guy Blachet, uh, French woman, she directed about forty to fifty films, and she was a producer in a bunch of other. You know those. I guess those are Nickelodeons or whatever. So yeah, this happened. Yeah, this uh, this happened in the 19th century. So yeah, women have been in movies for fucking ever, Mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's about damn time. uh, There's there's more recognition. I agree. Uh, Even even like the earliest days of a of film, like the film that we now called, you know, the motion picture, you know, women were allowed to actually direct one of the earliest uh, silent film stars, uh, Mabel Norman. She actually directed a a few films for for Keystone Pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, let's not forget uh, Mary Pickford, one of the one of the biggest stars in the world in the 
the early days of cinema, she was powerful enough to eventually found United Artists with other actors. So that's right. Yeah. Um, she she may have been America's sweetheart, but she was ruthless behind the scenes. Oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it just it seems like from the beginning, you know, uh, and even going to today. Like, women were always cast in that, you know, that one, one role. Like, you know, the, the, the role of, you know, essentially it's just, you know, the woman, the guy who, uh, the, the person who meets up with the main character and eventually falls in love with him and they rut and they uh, live happily ever after. Yeah, the... The broad, if you will. The broad, pretty much. Or, if it was an action film, The Damsel in Distress. Yeah, and, um, I mean, these these are tropes that are basically as old as time, and, like, Damsel in Distress, you can see that as, like, a continuation of, uh, well, you know, princesses or maidens in medieval poetry and medieval, um, romances, so... Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of continuity between the way people have told stories and uh, it is mm-hmm. it is kind of hard to break out of that but I mean we talked a bit about um, behind the camera women like uh, Mary Pickford is powerful enough to uh, run a studio and uh, Mabel Norman uh, directed quite a bu- quite a bit of movies um but mm-hmm. women have also been in other roles behind the camera from writing the damn scripts to mm-hmm. supervising costumes or even uh as cinematographers and editors and these are all important parts of the filmmaking process absolutely they make up at least 95 to 98 percent of it hell yeah because uh, I mean, what we see in move, like what we see as audiences, is usually just pretty pictures. But there's there's a gulf between um, shooting and writing and editing and what what mm-hmm. actually ends up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Um, you want to talk about uh, Golden Age Hollywood or, or even pre-code Hollywood in more detail? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, like Golden Age of Hollywood, you know, you have all these, you know, classic actresses, people that are on, you know, the list of greatest actresses of all time. You have people like uh, Norma Shearer, Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, uh, Claudette Colbert. Uh, Greer Garson, Greta Garbo, uh, all these great women who, even though they played uh, very similar roles, they had their own distinct personality. They made each role, you know, their own. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'd just like to add Hedy Lamar to the list, who yes. is not only a brilliant actress who's got a wide variety of roles, but she's also a pioneer in computers. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I forgot exactly. Let me pull this shit up before I mischaracterize Miss Lamar. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. She and composer George Ant Antile Antil, uh, developed a radio guidance system for torpedoes. And Ooh. principles of her work were incorporated to Bluetooth technology. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, that's fucking awesome. Every time you fucking uh, connect your phone to a speaker, you better take. You better thank a Jewish refugee from Austria. That's right. That's right. And you know why doesn't that get mentioned more often? Well, you know, because because uh, she's got a pretty face. Um, that's pretty much it. That's right. Uh, that's all people care about. Exactly. And Joan Crawford, actually, she, uh, after her career was uh, was over, she eventually married someone who was one of the uh, heads of the uh, the Pepsi company. And after he died, she actually took control of the Pepsi company for a little while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she served on the board of directors until, I guess, uh, PepsiCo were afraid of women and forced her to retire. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what? other other women, other, other famous Golden Age women, uh, Grace Kelly, who eventually oh, yes. became a real-life princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Audrey Hepburn, who, man, Audrey Hepburn actually has a more interesting life outside of film than in it. Oh, absolutely. She's one of the biggest uh, humanitarians of all time. Yeah, and uh, all throughout World War II, she basically was a spy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she um, seduced Nazis to... Uh, to get some intel across or to get some people across. So, yeah. And hey, you might you might never know this if all you know is fucking uh, Sabrina or Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, right. The uh, the one poster that I always saw in college dorm room, the one poster that I always saw in college dorm rooms. Yeah. If it was a guy, <laughs> if it was a guy, it was either Bob Marley or Fight Club. And if it was a girl, Always Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, or uh, put up put up Scarface on there as well. <laughs> or, or Scarface, yes. But also, you know, you got people like you know Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe, people yes. who like in their day were like were the were the personification of of talent and beauty and vitality. And it's actually kind of depressing what they had to endure throughout their entire careers. Elizabeth Taylor first became an actress when she was 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to geez, you want to talk about the exploitation of all these uh, child actors, you know, something that uh, Corey Feldman's been touching upon uh, recently. That's that's gone back to uh, to the days of like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. Yeah, all all those little rascals um sad story that they all they all die before they reach the age of 60 yeah um i mean shirley temple's story is also kind of kind of messed up and uh judy garland uh let's not forget her treatment on the set of wizard of oz and how that 
basically. Oh my god. Basically, um, movies were movies were kind of like the Wild West. Um, anything mm-hmm. goes. Uh, Pretty much. You wanna you wanna sell a kid uh, to to a studio? Uh, why the fuck not? Uh, you wanna tell a woman to down some radium pills to stay skinny? Uh, it's all good. That's uh, you uh, want to uh, you want to tie a fucking wooden board to someone's uh, breast in order to make them appeal more, make them to uh, look more of a preteen than they actually are. Go. Yeah. <laughs> that's what happened to judy garland folks she had like this wooden rod that was strapped across her chest that every day had to very painfully like you know tape down across her breasts so audiences would think she was still 12 years old yeah um there's a there's a very uh deep dark hole that we can go to and it's uh yeah, yeah, eventually Judy Garland, you know, turned to drink and drugs and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, you ever wondered what happened to her after The Wizard of Oz and uh, her other MGM roles like, uh, fuck, Harvey Girls. That's one of them, right? And, uh, I, that, that, that's, one, that's one of them. Me, and, me in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. And Easter Parade. That's the other one. Easter Parade for me and my gal. Yeah. She actually... She was still very, very incredibly successful. But, you know, after The Wizard of Oz came out, people could only identify her as Dorothy. Didn't matter what else she did. Yeah. Like, she could only be seen as, like, an ingenue. And right. uh, the execs were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to force you to uh, stay as a child uh, for as long Forever. as we can fucking manage. Yeah. And she, she stayed there. She stayed at MGM for, God, I think it was like 15 years. Yeah. And she even had like a nervous, nervous breakdown or three in her, in her time at MGM. More more like, more like five. It's incredibly, incredibly depressing. And it's fucked up what not only she, but you know, every other, you know, actress that's exploited a very young age has to has to deal with yeah and it's just like you know like when marilyn monroe was first coming up uh she uh as you know her star was rising as she did movies like you know asphalt jungle and all about eve and things are starting to look good one of her uh vengeful exes decided to release uh a number of uh nude photos that he took of her in order to derail her career. Yeah. Um, including, I think the one that was eventually published in the first playboy. Absolutely. And hell, even Hugh Hefner, Hugh Hefner exploited her and like told the very end to the point where Hugh Hefner actually purchased the, the, the grave, the grave site, the gravesite right above Marilyn Monroe's. Yeah. Um, who I think Hefner is, you know, I, well, you know, what's kind of funny is that after he died, uh, there's all these like obituaries about him. And I'm like, 
Well, I mean, this is a guy that made his living exploiting young women and like filling their mm-hmm. heads with with dreams and inviting them mm-hmm. to these orgies at his mansion. And I'm like, yeah, he's not some sort of like countercultural icon. I mean, like everyone's just like, you know, giving out all these tributes because like they jacked off to Playboy when they were kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and God, if you think it was bad for uh, just for like you know well-known uh, act, well-known actresses, well-known white actresses, imagine you know being you know a black actress or a Latina actress or an Asian actress in the in the fifties and the sixties. Yeah, like your your role your role essentially being shunted to the side, basically given like you know one or two lines of dialogue, and even if you do have a, a significant role. It's always in a very "quote unquote" broad dialect. Yeah, and I mean, as as a black woman in uh, golden age Hollywood, um, you'd either be the mammy or uh, you'd just not be speaking. Yeah, pretty much. And hell, even the first uh, uh, black uh, Oscar winner, Hattie McDaniel. Yeah, she yeah. was she was a mammy, and Actually, she did have a couple of uh, uh, powerful scenes in Gone with the Wind, but uh, because of the systemic racism that still persists to this day, she was actually barred from attending the premiere of Gone with the Wind in Atlanta. Yep. And uh, the Latina women in Hollywood also... um, well, I guess one fun f- fact is that in the early days of, of talk films, they used to make a separate Spanish edition. And mm-hmm. um, the one I remember most clearly is the Dracula Spanish version, which in some ways is it, it's it, it, it took a lot more liberties than uh, the English Dracula. But the main actress, Lupita Tovar, uh mm-hmm. she eventually married um i think the director or the producer and she came involved in uh running universal's uh spanish film output until eventually they shuttered it when dubbing became cheaper mhm wow i didn't actually know that yeah and uh and another famous latina uh rita hayworth that's right, aka uh, Margarita Cancino. Yeah, who uh, who they turn into a white woman to uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to to basically make her palatable to uh, to the wasp audience. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of people know that, and they're basically do- doing the they're basically doing the same same thing today. I only think of you know. When I see that happening, I think of, you know, what uh, a Scarlett Johansson's character goes through in Ghosts in the Shell. Yeah, basically. Um, and speaking of Asians. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. With the exception of, you know, like, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of select few actresses like Anna Mae Wong and and them. Yeah, Asian roles were mostly given to white women. Yeah, they used to um, <clears throat> they used to give them Chinese eyes and uh, yellow oh, face. Oh my god! 
Yep. And the oh my god, now, one of the first movies, uh, one of the actually one of the first movies that actually deals with you know Asian culture. It's called the the Good Earth. It was made by MGM. Uh, pro- was the last movie produced by uh, Irving Thalberg, the legendary uh, Hollywood wonderkin. But it stars uh, an Italian American actor and a Viennese actress playing two Chinese farmers. Yeah. Um, I think they actually do have some Asian people, but as like bit characters. Background. Background. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, yes, let's make it look as authentic as possible. Oh, but God forbid we actually give one of these, uh, you know, actual Asian uh, men and women some dialogue. Yeah. Um, this is partially uh, part of the infamous uh, the Hayes Codes where yeah. you are not supposed to portray miscegenation on cinema because God forbid um, you like someone that doesn't come from your ethnicity. <laughs> oh, God forbid. Oh, we can't allow that. Oh, puh-puh. no, we can't allow that at all. Oh my God. That was such, God, he was such a fucking hypocrite. Will Hayes. Yeah. This is a man who said like, you know, let's make movies, you know, glee, uh, clean, good, wholesome family fun. This guy was knee deep in prostitutes every other week and was involved in several charges of corruption every year. Yeah. Um, if it sounds familiar um, to legislators nowadays, it's uh, <coughs> it's because uh, people in power tend to be hypocrites. <laughs> oh, yes. Say one thing and do another. I'm going to say everything I can. I'm going to make sure, you know, I'm with you. I'm a man or a woman of the people. I'm going to say everything you want me to say, and you'll elect me anyway. Yeah. But once I get into once I get in power, bye bye. Fuck you. I don't care uh, if you're uh, if I'm on a boat and you're drowning. I will stick my foot out and I will kick you down even further. Hell yeah. And uh, actually, there was a there was another earlier uh, movie. Uh, you know about uh, D. W. Griffith's uh, Broken Blossoms. I've heard of it. Remind me again what, what it's about. Yeah, so it, it stars uh, Lillian Gish um, and uh, Richard Bartlemus. And, okay. And, uh, well, take, technically it's a movie about an Asian person falling in love with a white person. But, uh, yeah, as you can guess, no one is actually Asian. <laughs> So uh, a white man uh, plays uh, Cheng Huan, who leaves his native China to, uh, well, basically um, whatever Chinese people do when they don't have jobs in China back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually he falls in love with Lillian Gish. And uh, mm-hmm. in some ways it's kind of, it's kind of uh, you know, the fact that they do have this story up is kind of like, oh, it's interesting, but mm. at the same time, um, it does 
fall into the same tropes of like you know dressing up the the white guy in a stereotypical like cue in like a Fu Manchu outfit and sometimes uh, some of the scenes well there, there's there's an infamous scene called the closet scene um, uh-oh yeah <laughs> well, I, basically, why do I not like where this is going <laughs> where basically Li- Lillian Gish is um it's kind of uh trapped in a closet I think um and um Griffith is <laughs> Telling her to scream as loud as she can. She she's locked up in there by her father, who's like not appreciating this this Chinaman uh, laying hands oh, on his daughter. But yeah. Oh my god. It's uh, fun times at the movies. Oh yes, fun times. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit! And God. You know, like, but like, even when we get to like, you know, the 1950s and 60s, roles for women of a uh, women of color and minorities in general were just very uh, quote unquote limited. In fact, I think the biggest actress, one of the biggest actresses from the from the 50s, who got screwed over incredibly in her career, was uh, Dorothy Dandridge. Yes, she should have had a much much bigger career she was like one of the uh one of the trailblazers absolutely i mean she was one of the she was one of the first she is the first uh african-american actress to be nominated for uh best actress Mm -hmm. of course uh of course she didn't win because you know um it's like oh can't can't have that happen in uh, was it 1955 Oscars? 1954? Either 54 or 55. You're talking about Carmen Jones, Yeah, right? yeah, Carmen Jones. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good film. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, but it's like after Carmen Jones, God forbid, you know, the studio actually, you know, gives her anything of a that has depth in it. I mean, no, I mean, she, she did, she was featured in a number of great films, number of very underrated films that came out in the 1950s. There was, um, uh, Island in the sun with, she co-starred with, uh, Harry Belafonte. Mm -hmm. There was also the, the 1959 version of, uh, Porgy and Bess. Yep. Directed by Otto Preminger and co-starring Sidney Poitier and uh, and Sammy Davis Jr. But I feel like her roles were very limited to uh, like quote unquote uh, quote unquote like black films. Yeah. You know, um, there's not there's not really this like opportunity for african-americans and other minorities to to break out of kind of like so-called black films or so-called you know mm-hmm. whatever because like it, it was unthinkable to to have people of color in like mainstream movies basically right and i mean fair you know fair enough you know porgy and bess is a pretty famous movie and like Carmen Jones it's 
very well received, but in 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 another sense, like they were not received as kind of like everybody's movie, you know? Right. Right, but you also got to realize like the same thing keeps happening today. When whenever it's uh, whenever a film has a you know a majority a black cast in it, they dismiss it immediately as like a quote unquote black film. Yeah. And, 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 which, and the, yeah, which I never quite, I never quite understood. It's like, like, yes, this has a predominantly black cast, but it's still a movie. Yeah. And it's not like you can't get anything out of it. It's like, right. Yeah. I'm sure like, you know, everyone's cultural backgrounds are from a different place and you might not understand everything that's happening, but I mean, it's still a fucking movie and it's, uh, they're not aliens <laughs> exactly and by doing that you're you're severely limiting the amount of uh what, what am i trying to talk about here you're you're severely limiting like the impact that this film could could possibly have you're making it sound like it's foreign yeah 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 and i mean it, it even today, it's it's once in a blue moon that you get like I guess what you'd call a crossover hit. Oh, oh, there's still that. There's still that thing. There's still crossover. Apparently, there's still crossover <laughs> stuff. Oh my god! You... Actually, you know what? In in today's uh, in today's world, I'm actually not surprised at all. Yeah. Well. It's uh, it's not gonna change until you know. There's, until until there's women making movies, uh, and getting recognized for that more. African Americans getting recognized, just just fucking, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, absolutely, I agree. But uh, if you want to know more about uh, Dorothy Dandridge, uh, there was a there was a HBO special or movie, I think, mm-hmm. uh, introducing yeah. Dorothy Dandridge. Uh, it's a good one. It's really good. Hall- Halle Berry plays uh, Dorothy Dandridge, and she knocks it out of the park. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. does an amazing job. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, if you if you want to know more about you know Dorothy Jan Dandridge, you know obviously you know the film takes certain liberties with her uh, with her life and all that, like most glossy biopics do. Well, this isn't a glossy biopic. They show the uh, the warts and all aspect of it, but you know just you know f- find a book or you know there are probably several documentaries online about Dorothy Dandridge and her uh, impact on the film community. I mean, and so just going back to our general narrative, you know, right now, um, it seems to me that, you know, by the time you reach the 50s, 60s and 70s, or actually, no, by the time you reach the 50s and 60s, you see a lot of films that are starting to become more, uh, more grounded in realism mm-hmm. for, for the men, for the men. Meanwhile, you know, they still have a, Scenes where uh, the the woman goes to bed with a man, and when she wakes up, her 
makeup is perfectly intact. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, I don't know, this, this phenomenon where, like, now it's okay for guys to uh, basically look like Seth Rogen <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and get, like, Katherine Heigl. It's... It's it's a weird kind of like this like now the wor- the nerds are, are the winners and uh, yeah. it's okay for you to be a slob and I'm like not you you not body shaming <laughs> like guys who are nerdy or like who look nerdy but it's right. a weird dichotomy where like the expectation is still for women to have like fucking giant tits a tiny waist and yeah basically like. Not is, contribute is this, anything useful. Is, is this a is this a film we're talking about, or are we talking about an episode of The Man Show? It's <laughs> it's a uh, it's a man's world. That's what it is. Uh, oh God. <laughs> no, but back then it was weird. It, it was weird back then. You know the the films that were considered like grounded in realism. You didn't have any. You know, you know there was no Seth Rogen. There was no Jonah Hill. There was no uh, you know Key and Peele. You had guys that were, you know, yes, they were quote unquote realistic, but they were also like cut. You know, they were yeah. Marlon Brando, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, Sidney Poitier, uh, Robert Redford, you know, those guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I feel like it wasn't until the 1970s that we were finally experiencing, you know, more realistic roles you know, for women and granted the seventies is probably the best decade ever for movies, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Well, also the seventies, there, there was a phenomena of like unabashedly black movies, which yes. you know, people call black exploitation, but I mean, a lot of them were made by black people for black people. So uh-huh. not sure where the exploitation part comes in. Right. Uh, no, I, I call it another word, badass. Hell yeah, man. Um, well, let's let's talk about let's talk about some badass black women. Uh, we all right. Let's start with the probably the most badass black woman, the trailblazer of all trailblazers, Miss Pam Greer. Pam Greer. Hell yes. <laughs> what what can we say about Pam Greer, man? What can, what can we say about Pam Greer that hasn't already been said? Yeah, what, what what can we say about fucking Foxy Brown? Foxy Brown or coffee. Or coffee, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, she did do her own stunts. Yeah, yeah. For those movies. And it, yeah, she did look really really good i mean you know let, let, let's talk about coffee you know where she she was a she was a nurse and uh she she's out for she's out for vengeance mm-hmm. she's out to avenge her as it younger sister and uh end the yes. chain of drug-related violence in her city that's correct and God damn, what a badass woman. Absolutely. Basically, it was like the like the female version of a of Shaft. Yeah. 
is a woman that didn't that didn't take no shit. Exactly. Uh, oh, you gotta love the tagline for coffee. Uh, the film's tagline tag in advertising was, "They call her coffee, and she'll cream ya." <laughs> Man, the- she's the she, she's the godmother of them all. The baddest one chick hit squad that ever hit town. Hell yeah, man. And I mean, I guess, you know, to people nowadays who who's like watching these movies in a decontextualized way, maybe for like a not so good film class or maybe just like comes up on their feed or whatever. It, it is important to note that like films like Coffee, Foxy Brown, um, Cleopatra Jones, um, mm-hmm. even even the men too, Shaft, Sweet Seymour's, Sweetback's badass song, <laughs> and uh, you know, these were the cultural products of Black America post King, where mm-hmm. you know the situation was still shitty for a lot of. African-Americans and I mean it's not that much better today but um, you know the, it, it was an outlet for them to show like what the hell is going on in the cities what like what kind exactly. of stories were happening that people really didn't give a shit about I mean this is the same uh, decade where like uh, Ford said uh, New York can fucking drop dead <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah. oh my god <laughs> and uh, if you could, I can count on my on my fingers the number of times that that image has been shown in like multiple history and museum studies classes. It's yeah, it's insane. But yeah, so these these were important parts of like whatever you want to call it, cultural zeitgeist, or maybe even just like whatever people actually want to fucking see because. Otherwise, you know, there wasn't a lot that spoke to black America. Mm-hmm. And, right. And, you know, badass woman like uh, Cleo Jones or <laughs> Foxy Brown. Now that's now that's some fucking cinema. Absolutely. But, you know, um, there's a. Uh, there's other, there's other things uh, happening like uh, Blackula, which uh, probably it's a whole nother thing that we <laughs> we could probably talk about. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that another time. <laughs> talk about uh, Blackula, Black Caesar, Black Caesar, uh, Mandingo, Dolomite, Dolomite. Although uh, Dolomite, um, I fuck with that movie. Do you? Yeah. It's a, it's a bit silly, but it's incredibly silly. You know, I mean, th- this was not um, this was not made in the seventies. But have you ever seen a movie called Meteor Man? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> what a film! What a fucking movie, man! Technically. The first black superhero on film. Yeah, technically. So um, this was the Black Panther before Black Panther. That's right. E- even though Black Panther was already around in the comics by this point. Yeah. But um, 
You know what? Uh, what I didn't realize about the movie until much later is just how many fucking famous people are in it. Oh, I know. There's, it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robert Guillaume, uh, James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. Luther Vandross, Naughty Luther by Vandross. Nature. <laughs> Luther Vandross. He plays his character is a silent hitman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which I which I think is interesting because you have Luther Vandross on screen, and you're taking away his voice. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Kind of messed up shit is that? Right. Yeah. Uh, Naughty by Nature, Cypress Hill, Big Daddy Kane, Don Cheadle, uh, Biz Markie, uh huh, Sinbad of all people. <laughs> Hey, remember, remember when Sid, Sinbad was popular in like the late '80s, you know, early to mid '90s? Yeah. Um, God. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I love. I actually like Sinbad. I loved him as a Walter Oaks on a different world. <sighs> what happened to Sinbad, man? I mean, he's still doing his thing right now. It's just you know that he's not as uh, not as prevalent as he once was. Yeah, uh, guess not. So, uh, so those were the seventies, and um, mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, times arrow marches on. That's and, right, and uh, in the. In, in the 70s, like I said, you have women being portrayed as more realistic, you know, in films like, you know, Annie Hall and Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And, uh, yeah. Well, you'd actually, I, you actually identify with a lot of the women that are on the screen, especially the movie, uh, the John Cassavetes film, uh, Woman Under the Influence. Oh, yeah classic Star- starring his wife uh, Jenna Rollins who delivers an incredible performance I was incredibly surprised she didn't win the uh, the Oscar for that yeah um, when did when did that come out 74 75 74 I think yeah 74 damn I'm on fire with the dates today. Yes, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Give yourself a nice pat on the back for that one. Hell yeah. But yeah, uh, Woman Under the Influence. Um, If you haven't seen it yet, uh, it is kind of a tough movie to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a woman who, well, basically, it's not really a twist, but like her husband wants to commit her for psychiatric treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's General Rollins turns in a great, great, great performance. Mm-hmm. She really does. Yeah. Well, also, um, I guess this is in continuity with kind of like the, I don't know what to call it, but also with like, um, whatever happened to baby Jane and like, uh, oh, uh, my God, good yes. night. Uh, what is it? Good night, sweet Charlotte or whatever. Where it's I like, think so. Um, I don't know if it's women in peril or just like 
bad women films where it's like they 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 have movies where like women are kind of like undergoing like psychological trauma right yeah what could that be considered like a a like a movie stereotype in and of itself yeah basically I mean, you know, um, I, well, I guess there's a long history uh, since all, all the way back to uh, the, the film Gaslighting, mm-hmm. which uh, is the source of the modern term gaslighting for someone who tries to make you go cuckoo mm-hmm. on purpose by fucking with your uh, sense of self. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there is... Um, a term for those types of movie uh, or uh, it, it is just what was happening at the time. But yeah. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever happened to baby Jane, um, it's probably more famous for the behind the scenes li- rivalry of uh, Joan Crawford and Mady Davis. <laughs> than, That's right. Uh, the movie itself. Although I, I do like the movie. It's uh it's a miracle that the movie actually got made, considering what I happened know. behind the scenes. It's scary. I'll just say that. It's fucking scary. Yeah. Um, well, you know, when uh, when Betty Davis uh, danced on the beach, that was fucking crazy. Yeah. All right. Um... Well, we didn't talk about Katherine Hepburn. Oh, we did not talk about Katherine Hepburn. Yeah, another another pioneer. Um, Absolutely. Basically, she, because she was Katherine Hepburn, she did whatever the hell she wanted. Yeah, including uh, wearing pants, which was a no-no that's, in Hollywood. That's right. She, yeah, I mean, she's she's fiercely independent. Um, a lot of great roles throughout her life and uh, mm-hmm. probably also famous for her roles with uh, Spencer Tracy and mm-hmm. uh, arguably one of the movies that she's most known for um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner That's she right. actually has never seen uh, the final cut because it's um, people who don't know Spencer Tracy died uh, during the making uh, right it was right after right after principal photography yeah, right after principal photography wrapped up and uh yeah she just couldn't she couldn't watch the movie uh can you blame her yeah but you know um i mean just the range of her roles from like uh stage productions uh to African Queen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> guess he's coming to dinner. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lion in Winter. Mm-hmm. She is... On, on Golden Pond. On Golden Pond. That's one of the... Is that the last one or one of the last ones where she's like... One of the last movies she's in. That is one of the last movies she's in. Okay. Unfortunately, the, la- the last movie she was ever in... She probably shouldn't have been in to begin with. 
It was the Warren Beatty, uh, Annette Benning film, uh, Love Affair. Oh. <laughs> in which, in which I read this, the uh, Warren Beatty and the producers essentially kidnapped Catherine Hepburn and forced her to be in the movie. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, because she didn't want to do it. They approached her like five separate times mm-hmm. and asked her to do the movie. And she kept saying no. Yeah. Well, uh, among her other movies, there was also uh, Adam's Rib, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Bringing Up Baby, which um, I don't know. This is also a weird thing with Hollywood where they paired uh, people with animals. Uh, we talked about Bedtime for Bonzo briefly. Mm-hmm. Bringing Up Baby is, well, Baby is a leopard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh i don't know what the hell kind of uh cocaine they were snorting uh in the in the 30s and 40s Uh, i don't think cocaine was even invented yet yeah um (laughs) but yeah uh Let's see. Oh, what, yeah. what, what else was uh, Catherine Hepburn? Well, uh, Woman of the Year. The uh, Philadelphia Story. Philadelphia Story. Um, that's sort of a sort of a comeback movie for her, isn't it? Philadelphia Story. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. What's also um, interesting is that her her relationship with uh, Spencer Tracy is. Uh, it was hidden from the public, um, right? Because, well, you know, uh, Tracy was married, and I forgot the whole story. Actually, um, he, he he was married. He was married. Interestingly enough, his wife knew about it and didn't mm-hmm. care. Um, when. Catherine Hepburn first got together with Spencer Tracy. She was dating uh, Howard Hughes. Yeah. Um, Howard Hughes, man. <laughs> Pretty sure well, there's a whole episode we can dedicate to to him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently, uh, even though I'm reading right now, even though Spencer Tracy was still technically married – to his wife, they were already uh, <laughs> they were already officially separated, but for some reason never pursued a divorce. Yeah, and they and um, I mean Catherine Hepburn also never uh, pushed for marriage or like asked Spencer Tracy for a divorce. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it's one of those interesting uh, relationships. Well, it was also, I guess, there were rumors that Catherine Hepburn might have been lesbian. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there was also rumors that uh, he might have been gay. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's not a it's not a Rock Hudson situation. No, it's not. Who who actually was gay? Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way. Um, Gay people. That's uh, it's it's another uh, messed up thing they used to do to people in Hollywood. 
found uh-huh. out you were gay. I think it was better if you were communist than you were gay for some time. Yeah, and they would uh, they would either send you to uh, they would send you to the precursor to uh, quote unquote conversion camps. Actually, no, they would send you to electroshock therapy. Yeah, uh, they they strapped a bunch of electrodes to your temples and your nuts and uh, try to shock the gay away. Yeah. Or they would force you into uh, a marriage with uh, somebody else, just for just for you know, just for the public, just for the public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, wait, that actually leads to something quite, quite interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because in a lot of the earlier films, in which there actually was, you know a gay or a lesbian character. If a character was a lesbian or bisexual, then they would write her as like a complete, uh, homicidal sociopath. Oh yeah, that's true. Think, think of movies like, uh, basic instinct, uh, fatal attraction and single white female. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, uh, writers now have any more of a realistic, uh, character for for lesbians and gay people for gay people mm-hmm. it's either you're 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 you know you live in an armored closet and you can't get out until the denouement of the film or you're right. just some or you're just some caricature of a fairy yeah where you know it's like you speak you speak in like a high-pitched voice and like you're one of the girls one of the goyles you speak with that exaggerated lisp yeah and and lesbian women are either like, you know, just incredibly butch, flannel wearing, or leps- lipstick lesbians, where it's like hypersexualized. Hypersexualized. So I mean, it's not any more realistic than you know this uh, psychotic, predatory uh, lesbians and bisexuals of yore, but you know. Mm-hmm. Man, for an industry with a lot of uh, homosexual uh, people of any orientation, you'd think you'd think they'd know how to write characters, but guess not. They still don't know how to write them. Yeah. Well, it's not like they can write black people any better, uh, or very Asian true. people, uh, or or Latino people, or, or Latino. Um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about the the dichotomous stereotypes of every ethnicity where um, a black man is either the cool, uh, sexy guy who's, who's much hipper than everyone or he's literally someone who comes out of darkest Africa and, uh, well, I guess now darkest Africa is darkest Chicago and... Or darkest Harlem. Yeah, darkest Harlem, and uh, they speak in exaggerated um, gangsta talk, and all mm-hmm. they do is just shoot people up and shoot up. Right. But yeah, um, well, there was also a genre where women played a prominent role, and I guess we kind of touch upon it with some of the roles uh, women throughout uh, Hollywood had, and that's I guess uh, film noir. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, oh the, yes, the, the femme role fatale. of femme fatale. Yes, where it's still a it's still a fixture in fiction, uh, in pretty much any genre conceivable, from spy movies to hard boiled detectives to well, any any basically any uh, anywhere you need kind of like a. I don't know, I guess, a Delilah type or a Jezebel type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's always, you know, the woman with the very mysterious past who doesn't know, like, like if the main character can trust her or not. Yeah, you got your, uh, you got your, uh, I don't know. Why am I blanking on this? Show? I was so good up until this point. <laughs> no, you got uh, you got Ingrid you got Ingrid Bergman and Ingrid Casablanca. Bergman. You got uh, Lauren Bacall. You got Mary Astor. You got Rita Hayworth. You got Ava Gardner. Uh, Ava Gardner. Lana Turner. Uh, even Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, even Marilyn Monroe got got a few roles as uh, femme fatale type. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it's still still a role, um, still a role uh, commonly encountered nowadays. I mean, think of it. Uh, Angelina Angelina Jolie's got some femme fatale roles, including a movie called. Uh, no, that's that's Rebecca Romijn, isn't it? Femme fatale. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, the that's one. exactly <laughs> what you're thinking. Of. <laughs> no. Yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, Marion Cotillard also plays a lot of. Femme Fatales, mm-hmm. um, Midnight in Paris, uh, Inception, uh, mm-hmm. even her role as uh, Talia Al Ghul in Dark Knight. Ah, uh, uh, spo- spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it yet. Which it's been five years. How have you not seen it yet? My my thing for spoilers is if it's uh, more than a year, you probably had time to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, someone someone who's uh someone who's seductive, someone who's clever. Uh they have their own form of power. Mhm. Doesn't have to be kind of like a vampiric or um yeah, but some 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 like someone that is Kind of they, like they know they yeah. know they know that they can easily manipulate the main character. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, if the if the other role for women is like a submissive, you know, arm candy, I guess femme fatale is an improvement. Somewhat. Somewhat. It's, uh, Somewhat. Still I mean, bad though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's certainly better than you know just playing. The arm candy. Yeah. And uh, for for you Asian women, there is a special kind of femme fatale, Dragon Lady. Um, oh, boy. Who is either uh, Fu Manchu's daughter or some, some weird combination of, like, empress and, uh, yeah, deceitful woman. It's uh, vaguely... Uh, Vaguely oriental. Um, I don't even fucking know what to say, man. <laughs> is, is it better than being a geisha girl? Uh, 
it's it's both it's it's uh it's two sides of the same shit coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the geisha girl, you know, she she covers her mouth when she laughs, and she's a wilting flower, and she. So yeah, um, not that good. Right. But of course, we would be remiss if we don't mention uh, another type of uh, sometimes arm candy, sometimes femme fatale, and uh, that is the Bond girl. The Bond girl, yes. Which is, I mean, I think of it as a trope on its own. It is. It's the longest running cliche, I think, in movie history. Yeah. Um... Basically, they exist to be fucked by James Bond. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like every once in a while, you know, you have a. Like you have a Bond girl that's able to stand up for herself and just, you know, admit when uh, no means no. And she's very, uh, very strong, very independent. It's able to handle things on her own. But in the end, she winds up uh, succumbing to the. uh, to the will of uh, Mr. Bond. Yeah. Um, also a great tradition of incredibly on-the-nose names. Uh, Pussy Galore, uh, Honey uh-huh. Rider. Uh, uh-huh. Plenty and, uh, O'Toole. <laughs> Plenty O'Toole, uh, Dr. Holly Goodhead. Goodhead, uh, Z- Zania On Top. <laughs> Zenya on a top, yes. Uh, and of course, uh, Octopussy. I, oh my god. Alright, let's not, let's not forget, there was also a Bond girl. She appeared very briefly, but her name was Strawberry Fields. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, don't know what else to add. <laughs> uh, she gets killed in like the first half hour. Oh yeah. Um. Well, is there is there uh is there another classic uh Bond girl name that we missed? I'm trying to think. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> uh Halle Berry's character was called Jinx Johnson. Jinx Johnson. Uh, uh, Christmas Jones. Christmas Jones, right? Uh, Denise Richards. Um, I guess Christmas came twice. Uh. <laughs> Or was it came early? I don't know. No, I think the line is, uh, I thought Christmas only comes once a year. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Three writers wrote this. Actually, wait, who who wrote that? Hang on. Yes, three writers wrote this. (laughs) That line made the final cut. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that's um, well. The the other incredible thing is that they 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 seriously tried to portray Denise Richards as like a nuclear physicist. So, uh-huh. uh, whoa, okay. Uh, Christmas Jones. Uh, also, Doctor Molly Warmflash. <laughs> Almost forgot about that. <laughs> That's in the same film. That that is in the world is not enough. Oh my god! What a fucking name! Jesus Christ! 
<laughs> it almost it almost feels like they're just pulling random words out of a hat right uh, now. How can it's like how can we make this as sexual as possible? Yeah, uh, well, what about what about James Bond goes to Ireland and uh, he fucks a girl called Oodles O'Quim? Well, he already did fuck somebody named Plenty O'Toole. There you go. Uh, so uh, James Bond in Fiji uh, fucks uh, Tumani, Tumani Punani. There you go. Shut, shut up, shut up. Don't give the writers any ideas. Oh, man. Um, I can't wait for the next Bond where it's just... Where, where they just like call the girl like a hole or something. It's just... Oh. There's nowhere else to go but down. Well, you're, you're going to be waiting a couple of years for the next uh, James Bond film. And yeah. you're going to see a uh, 50-year-old uh, Daniel Craig go at it again. Um, it should just make James Bond black. Yes. give the Just give it to Idris Elba. It should make him black or they should make him... Uh, should make him uh, Asian. Or they should make him a woman. Yes, that's actually a very good idea. They should they should make um Leslie Jones James Bond. I would actually pay to see that. Shut up and take my money <laughs> right now. They should have Kristen Wiig as James Bond. <laughs> um, they should have Aubrey Plaza as James Bond. Yes! Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I think I think She's we found our, our movie. Yes, we have. She's already got the calm uh, stoicism down. She yeah. does have that look that says, if you make one move, I will fucking kill you. Yeah, uh, yeah. her default expression is uh, stabbing daggers into your back. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, although... Um, she, she, she would have to do an accent, yeah. would she? Well... Because we know how she does with accents. Yeah, uh, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. What the hell is that accent? <laughs> D- don't ask me. Ask the, I don't know. Ask, ask the Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> ask Aubrey Plaza, yes. Well, she's one of the producers of that film, so. Uh, yeah. Although she is legitimately one of the funniest people in Hollywood. She is. Yeah. And they said women aren't funny. Right. Um, to, to get back to uh, James Bond, um, from Russia with Love, also kind of has a non-traditional looking uh, femme fatale, uh, Rosa Klebb. Rosa Klebb, who is actually, it's implied that she's a she's a lesbian. Yeah, um, but you know she's she's not the the sultry looking. Uh, I guess Baroness from G.I. Joe looking femme fatale. But she is right. like a powerful woman who takes no shit and is a legitimate threat against against uh, Sean Connery. And Sean, and Sean Connery is James Bond, including her uh, poisoned uh, shoe knife. Yeah, um... Gotta love the Cold War, man. They came out with 
so much stupid shit during that time, both on the cultural yeah. front and actual like ex- espionage shit. They gave James Bond a fucking jetpack in one movie. <laughs> oh man. Um Incredible. Mm-hmm. Cold War paranoia at, a, at its finest. You know, Bond needs a Bond needs an enemy. Oh, hi Russia. Or hi a Soviet Union. I think you know, I think that's the thing we miss the most from the Cold War and why uh, people are trying to bring, bring back Russia as a bad guy. It's because it's just so easy to have, like, this nebulously characterized um, other that you can, like, set yourself against. Right. It's like, it's such a cheap cop-out where it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, um, we don't have to build up the bad guy with real motivations, uh, so... There you go. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of like speaking of action films, the 80s, we see the uh, we see the debut of arguably two of the most uh, badass uh, characters of all time. Absolutely. That of, that of Sigourney Weaver is Ellen Ripley. And Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sigourney Weaver and uh, Linda Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Who, Linda Hamilton got insanely jacked for T2 Judgment Day. Oh, oh yes. You can see her doing actual fucking pull-ups and holy shit. Yeah. Oh, she's got massive guns. She doesn't need guns. She has them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there, there you go. She doesn't need no goddamn machine gun. Uh, even though it's fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, um, I mean, I guess, you know, you, you think of like Terminator 2 as kind of like testosterone poisoning with uh, the governator, you know, mm-hmm. fucking one arm reloading shotgun and saying things like, I know why it is you cry, but it is something that I cannot do. Or, or uh, hasta la vista, baby. Or come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Linda Hamilton is the is Sarah Connor is f- like legitimately fierce action hero. Yes. Absolutely. And uh I mean but but what what's interesting is that like both Alien and Terminator started out with both uh women basically being chased by a monster and being powerless and then after mm-hmm. those experiences they become tough badass chicks. Yeah. Uh oh by the way, guess who directed both those films? Hell yeah. Both those sequels. Mr. Titanic himself. James Cameron. (laughs) He will never make anything that will, that will, like, he will always be Mr. Titanic. Yes. (laughs) Sorry to say, James, if you're, if you happen to be listening, listening to this on the set of uh, Avatar 50 right now, but, uh, yeah. 
I mean, it, you can't live down 14 Oscar nominations. <laughs> you can't live down the, the Celine Dion song. Nobody can ever live that down. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and uh, with the James Cameron connection, we have the first uh, woman Oscar winner for Best Director, Catherine Bigelow. That's correct. Who, before she won an Oscar, actually created what would eventually become, like, you know, the Fast and the Furious genre kind of movies. She did Point Break. Yep. And uh, I wonder how many people know that, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think a lot of people actually know that. Yeah. So yeah, she did. She did Point Break. She also did a movie called Strange Days, which um, it's a bit, it's a bit out there. She also did a K nineteen, The Widowmaker. Oh yeah, she did that. She did do that one. Mm-hmm. In which Harrison Ford plays a uh, a Russian submarine commander. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> um, and he really doesn't give a shit. At this point, he doesn't even like really attempt to do a, a Russian accent. He just goes like, you know, fuck it, I'm Harrison Ford. I can talk whichever way I want. <laughs> oh man, Harrison Ford not giving a shit is my favorite style of him doing pressers. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. No, did you see the? Uh... I think he did an interview with either a Vanity Fair or Esquire, and the interview asked him, you know, like, you know, like, how do you, it's like, you know, like, how do you feel about, you know, you going back and revisiting, like, all your most uh, iconic roles, and he just said, so what? Oh, yeah, 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 that's a great one. So what? <laughs> Says who? <laughs> Says who? He's just like antagonizing the interviewer. <laughs> He's just like, you know, eh, fuck it. Why do I care? I'm getting money. I get to do what I love. I get to play a character that I love playing. And there we go. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And with all that money, he gets to do what he loves most, which is narrowly missing the runway of John Wayne Airport in Orange County. Oh my God. <laughs> I was going to say fly planes, but, uh, yeah, that too. Uh, yeah, it's always funny in the local news where, you know, it's a KTLA is like, and in other news, uh, Harrison Ford, um, has been involved in another, uh, air accident. Uh, he narrowly missed the runway of, uh, John Wayne airport more at 11. <laughs> You make it sound like this is like a weekly occurrence for him. It certainly seems like it. Oh, shit. You're right. (laughs) It's happened. What time he landed at a golf course? (laughs) Can you imagine just like playing golf that day and you just see like a freaking... (laughs) You just see like a freaking plane (laughs) come down to Harrison Ford just popping out just saying like, sorry, continue with your game. Yeah. It's like you just, you know, you're smoking stogies with your friends. You're, you got a good par, and then suddenly you see Indiana Jones come crashing down. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So we uh let's let's go back to uh to Catherine Bigelow. Um most famous for Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. What mm-hmm. which came out with recently, uh Detroit. Detroit came out recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um I didn't actually see that one, so if you did, uh feel free to I I did. I did, yeah. Uh I thought it was a great film. It was I didn't really know much about that particular incident at the uh, the Algiers uh, motel, but mm-hmm. it's uh, I thought it was a great film. I thought there were a lot of powerful uh, performances in it, but you know I keep looking at the reviews. Like you know, evidently you know there was a lot of uh, a lot of problems that plagued the set. You know, Catherine Bigelow couldn't get the uh, rights to the original source material, the book that it was based on. So I think what the movie basically is, is research that she and the rest of the production did, plus a large amount of, uh, of speculation, because this was in the middle of the, uh, of the Detroit riots in 68. Yeah. But it's a great, it's a great film. I love the... Uh, it has one of my uh, my new favorite actors in it, uh, John Boyega. Hell he yeah. does a does a great job, and uh, Anthony Mackie's in it, which I think is really cool. What other um, what other female directors can you think of recently? Well, I mean, there's Patty Jenkins. Patty Jenkins, aka Wonder Woman, uh, who should, in all rights, uh, she should just make all the DC movies from now on. Yes, but yes. I think I think uh, Warner Brothers probably will will not take the stick out of their own ass and no, keep they're... giving it to Zack Snyder. Well, you saw that Zack Snyder actually had to leave the uh, set of a uh, uh, Justice League. Yeah, and somehow, like they they brought Joss Whedon in, and I I can tell exactly when Joss Whedon was was brought in to shoot certain scenes. I, I I haven't seen it yet, so don't uh don't say anything. Yeah. Well, um, the good uh Gal Gadot always good. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Woman of woman of my dreams of my heart. Uh. <laughs> uh. I'll I'll just go ahead and uh move to Israel now. <laughs> Yeah, just find ahead. another, just find another uh, tough, yeah, uh, good old. yeah, tough Sabra lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good luck, man. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, what? There's one director who I feel like does not get a lot of uh, recognition in, like, like in place alongside Catherine Bigelow and Patty Jenkins and Ava DuVernay, and that's Amy Heckerling. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Which she she also has a bona fide classic under her belt, uh, Fast she Times. Does. Fast Times of Ridgemont High, which is amazing. I love. I always crack up every time I watch it. Yeah, it's a it's an evergreen comedy movie, man. First time you watch it, it's great. You watch it again, you missed out on some of the things. Wow, you know. Hmm. Yeah. 
And actually, what's interesting about Fast Times is that when she read uh, the when she read the script, when she read Cameron Crowe's uh, script for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like she like she loved it. She flipped uh, instantly, but she felt like um, but she felt like there was a lot of uh, studio uh, meddling involved. So mm. she actually sat down with Cameron Crowe and rewrote parts of the script. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. But it, it's such a it's such an amazing film with so many so many classic lines. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So I guess also, um, well, I I saw the movie Raw, that that French uh, cannibal movie, and they, oh, they, yeah. they, How they, was they, that? They, it, it's good. It's not really a horror movie. It's more about like, I mean, I guess it's kind of trite to say, but like a coming of age story where like a woman's like dealing with it's all these metaphors but it's good um but yeah i mean there's there's women like shooting more and more genre films uh being more involved in like these uh, ostensibly boys club-esque uh genres or well i guess film you could kind of argue is a boys club still but mm-hmm. hopefully with the Weinstein effect everything's going to be torn down I I hope you're right seriously yeah so there you go um just 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 have the women in charge from now on yes we'll we'll see a lot we'll see a lot more great fucking movies We'll see a lot mm-hmm. more positive roles for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I do hope anyone that uh, that's ever diddled a kid or uh, molested a woman um, gets outed and loses their job. Because mm-hmm. uh, shit has been going on for too long. and Far too long. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, that's all I can think of right now. All right. Uh, what do you want to close out with? Hmm, That's a very good question. Um, that's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like maybe we can close out with either like the theme music to, uh, coffee or Foxy Brown. Hell yeah. 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 Let's let's put on uh, Foxy Brown. Uh, Yes. Shout out to to the OG badass woman of cinema, one of the OGs. Mm Mm-hmm. She's a she's a whole lot of woman. That's right. Love you, Pam Greer. All right. This has been another episode of Questions Like This. And as always, my name is Aristo. And my name is Alex. And uh, yeah, we well, we're finally on iTunes and Stitcher, but I think we keep neglecting to mention our email. But our email is questionslikethispod at gmail. Uh, it's on our SoundCloud page. It's on our everything. I always try to put it in the show notes. Um, yeah, 
if anyone out there has any topics they want us to cover or they just want to call us out for being stupid or mispronouncing things, um, <laughs> feel free. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. We're open to any kind yeah. of criticism you could think of. Or if you just want to call in and say you're a fan, then that's fine too. Yeah. But yeah. Thanks for listening. And uh, this is the theme from Foxy Brown. Take care, everyone. Yeah.